Hey, what's up? It's Avery here. Well, I guess who else would it be? It is my own show. <laughs> you see, my show is on platforms like iTunes and Spotify, and you may wonder, how do I get my show on these platforms? Well, I do it through an app called Anchor. It's free to download, and you can use it on your phone or on your laptop. And it also comes with creation tools that let you edit your show. You can also make that sweet moolah with your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, want to get started? Download the Anchor app on the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store. Or go to anchor.fm. It's that easy. Welcome back to Avery Sports Show, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you who know me, you know I have a big passion for the NBA in the 80s and the 90s. So I've been fired up watching The Last Dance, and it is my pleasure to have someone who played in that era, in the thick of the Pistons and Bulls rivalry, and is in this series. My guest plays college basketball at Georgia Tech. He was the first player in NBA history to win a championship with three different franchises. At his IMDB page, it's pretty impressive. He appeared in Bad Boys 1 and 2. And he was a long-time host on the best damn sports show, period. Ladies and gentlemen, it is John Sally. John, how are you doing today, sir? Man, what an intro. How are you? I'm doing well. And sir, it's, been a, it's an honor having you on Avery Sports Show. And I gotta ask you, first things first, how many interviews have you done to discuss the last dance in maybe the past week or two? <laughs> Uh, so this is crazy because you know I'm in the media, so mm -hmm. uh, I worked so many years doing it. I knew what was going to happen, so I, I knew it was coming to this. So I picked very the fact that I'm doing your show is, um, is you know you got in at the right time. I loved what your email said, and I said yes. But the the deal the deal was I literally uh, hand picked all the shows I'm going to pick on. So I don't overdo myself. Uh, I do about three a day. and uh, But I was doing so many interviews anyway. Uh, but about three a day, I was getting done. Oh, wow. You, you put in work there. You put up on the work. So I want to ask you what the last yeah, dance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, 45 minutes of work a day is a lot. <laughs> right? That is you know, a lot to ask. That is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of work. So I want to ask you, you know, you said you, said you knew this was coming. So I want to ask you, when you were first approached to be in the last dance, was it like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a part of this immediately? That was last. I did that interview last April. Okay. And, and when I tell you they... You signed everything to be, um, you know, to be quiet. They were like, hey, this is important. We really don't want to talk about, you know, this. So we're going to need you to do this interview and forget you've done this interview. And and, and they were slick about it. But, you know, because I was in that, so you got to tell me what we're interviewing about. And he said, you know, just about, you know, Dennis Rodman, we want to do this piece on Dennis and you know him best. And I said, okay, then so we might ask you some micro questions. But I was in there for two hours. <laughs> I was Jeez. in there for two hours. They, they, when I tell you, they took their time putting this together because if he's going to be the greatest player of all time, he has to have the greatest documentary. Of course, it just, it just has to, it just has to go like that. And I think they are showing the making of the Messiah. Wow, that's, you know what? I couldn't agree more. But I want to ask you though, John, was it kind of surprising that it took? 
23 years to make it because I'm, I'm sure some would have asked why wasn't why didn't Michael sign off on this in 2014 or 2015 why did he wait over 20 years to authorize the ability to have this footage be released the crazy part is is I don't even know if they're gonna show the Kobe side but mm. um, he they've been working on it for a year to drop it on 2020. So every decade, you would want to drop something and compiling all the things he's done to where it is now is an important thing to show where this is going. So it was ESPN who waited. Who waited. They could have um, gotten it done. Michael was, Michael was giving interviews, but he's, he's more lax, too. Remember, a lot of people, they're not talking about how negative the media was when his father passed. They're not talking about when he went to play baseball. They, they, they thought he was um, being too uppity and too out of his way to want to walk away from basketball. Mm-hmm. After you got me buying, you know, people were mad at him for living his life. You know, they forget that he had to go through all that. They forget that while he was doing all this greatness, uh, they were like, hey, you know what? You played 14 years. Uh, it's time for you to retire. I mean, People are not realizing that's literally what they were saying to MJ uh, in 1998. This is it. You know what I'm saying? So just to understand that that's how they were going at it, it was, it was a bad thing. It's like people, they, they use you up. They forget the feeling we have mm-hmm. uh, from, from those organizations. Exactly, exactly. I agree with that. And you know, looking at the documentary, looking at how many personalities and how many people are involved in all 10 parts, you know, there, there are people like myself, you know, I'm someone who, I'm 27, but I know my history of the world of basketball. A lot of my friends don't know the history of the Bulls and the Pistons, and they don't know what you guys went through. So what does it mean to be really an educator and teach new generation about, hey, this is how the NBA was, this is how Larry Bird was. This is how Isaiah was. This is how Michael was when he's trying to get through you in Detroit and trying to get through the Celtics and Knicks and so on and so forth. I tell people all the time, uh, we were essential to Michael Jordan's growth. Uh, he said it himself. Beating the Pistons was more gratifying than winning the championship against the Lakers because that wasn't any competition for them. The competition was the guys who kept standing in their way to win the Eastern Conference Championship. Mm-hmm. That was the ultimate goal. It truly was. And seeing how and seeing how you guys were that true roadblock, you know, I look at Detroit and they grew up I grew up having I mean, admiration for for you, for Bill Ambeer, for I was a Bulls kid growing up, John, but I admired what you guys did in Detroit. And it's kinda of cool people are seeing that because I honestly feel that you guys were overlooked because you had that period in which people discussed you said it yourself in the Bad Boys documentary a few years ago where people give the praise to the Lakers, they give the praise to Boston, and then they jump right into Chicago. People don't give enough praise to what you guys did in Detroit in that period in the 80s and 90s where you guys did go down and you did take down Larry and you go and you did go and take down Magic and Kareem and the Lakers in their home building. People don't realize, brother. They don't, they don't, they don't, you know, they see it. Because this is another thing. Somebody asked me, how is it I could, how did it feel when I put a Bulls jersey on or when I put on, um, or when I put on a Lakers jersey, I said, mm. my man, when I used to pray to God to be an NBA ball player, that's just what I became, not any particular team. I just wanted to play in the NBA. And the mentality is we have to, that's our job. That's our concern. You can go to work and say, hey, it's going to be a good game tonight. Yeah, I'm going to go get some food first. You want to come up? You can go and have your leisurely life. 
to watch a game. It may be intense, but you're not literally doing it. The person doing it in the middle of it is literally not even, can't even see anything you can see from it. Uh, so it, it's a whole different feeling. And then I remember, like, guys, when I was playing for Miami, we would lose a game and we'd go out and guys would be like, um, no one would come up and say tough loss. They'd be like, what, you guys hanging out? Didn't you lose tonight? And I wanted to be like, what's that mean? Yeah, we, yeah, we competed tonight because we were paid to compete. And you want to win, but you're paid to put on a show. And once you put on the show, I want to eat too. I want to go to the nightclub too. And people don't look at it that way. They look at it like we're just gladiators. Like, you perform and get back in your cage. That's it. And that, that's a poor way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a really good point. And I know you, you, you think of the fact that the gladiator thing, just for a quick second, John, I was looking in a great example last year in, in football, Andrew Luck, quarterback for the Colts. He retires. People are saying, what are you retiring for? People don't realize that he's a person too. He wants to walk away from football 28. Mm-hmm. That's his life. Yeah. They don't want you to be human. They want you to be an entertainer for them. Crazy. Yeah, I know. It is, it is nuts. And, you know, looking at what you guys are doing in Detroit and, you know, just watching, just watching a little footage and watching how this team, you guys were a true unit and a true team. And I'm trying to, I'm watching. And was there any better coach for you guys than Chuck Daly? Because looking at what Chuck Daly did, and he molded so many personalities, so many styles of ball. A lot of coaches probably wouldn't be able to handle so many guys, but he was able to mold himself into the perfect teacher and perfect coach to get you guys to the finals three times and win two championships back in the day. Not only was that, he was the dream team one coach. Out of all the coaches they could have picked, they didn't pick Pat Riley, they didn't go after Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. Chuck Daly was the coach of dream team one. Yes, that to tell you how important he was. And, and he truly was. And I know I, I'm watching him now. Of course, John, you're the guy, you're the guy who kept things like, so I want to ask you about the fact that you guys gave Chuck Daly the nickname Daddy Rich for his suits. So how much do you think a Chuck Daly suit cost? Was it $5,000? Was it $3,000? Because he was rocking some pretty stylish suits. <laughs> <laughs> well, things weren't as expensive. But if you would have put the suits Chuck Daly was having tapered on his body, um, <laughs> From the umbrella, if you were if you were to put that on now, you would have on a six, a five to six thousand dollars suit. Shh. <laughs> he didn't pay that. No, we're, that was his thing. So many suit makers and guys wanted to have him in the suit, so they would they would they would outfit him because they wanted him to look good and they wanted them to look good in their suit. <laughs> uh, I wind up getting a deal on suits uh, from uh, he got it with one company and I got it with another. So we would. You know, I call him Daddy Rich, because that's what he was like. It was like we were Richie Rich, and that was Daddy Rich. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man, I love that. I love that, John. I missed rivalry between you guys and the Bulls and the Pistons. Of course, the infamous thing was that when Michael and those guys got past you, of course, the big thing was the majority of your teammates not going to the Bulls and not shaking their hands. Of course, you were one of the outliers. You did use up yourself in to not be a part of that, to shake your hands. And Isaiah mentions a bit of regret not shaking hands. But on ESPN this past week, Bill and was on the jump with Rachel Nichols saying he has no regrets. Are you are you kind of surprised that one Isaiah said he regrets it? And are you kind of surprised that Bill's standing by the fact that, yeah, no, I don't regret not shaking their hands after 91? Well, uh, it was a bunch of us that didn't. Uh, nah, the, 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 what you're seeing mm-hmm. is Bill and Bill walk by, and at the deal you would see Isaiah duck around, and then Dennis ran off. But 
but the rest of us, but the rest of us are still shook ahead. Vinny mm-hmm. Johnson, Joe Dumas, me, Scott Hasten, the guys that was on the court. Okay. You know what the deal is is it, it comes down to it. It's Isaiah felt he should have shook. That's that's what everybody was looking at. They were looking at the leader of the squad. Right. And so I I knew you know it's just basketball is what I do. It's not who I am. And reputation is what you stand for. Character is what you. Uh, I mean, reputation is what you will fall for, but your character you stand for. And my character, I'm going to walk up to my fraternity brother, Omega Sci-Fi Incorporated, Michael Jordan and I, Shaquille, Steve Harvey, you know, a, a list of Cornbread Maxwell. You know, all of us Omegas, we're going to, we're going to dap each other up. We're going to walk over and congratulate my brother. Uh, and I've been friends with Michael Jordan since 82. And then Scotty and, and Horace, you know, I would trade tickets with them. <laughs> so that was, you know, it was, I don't look at it the way, no one else looked at it that way. It was just the way Bill was feeling at the time. And, and mm. that, was Bill's, that was Bill's choice. That was their choice to make some sort of statement. And he was like, well, we're going to hand it to him like the Celtics did to us. And my thing is, well, we're not the Celtics. But, right. you know, hey, it was 29 years ago. The fact that we learned that we're still on Michael Jordan's mind. That's, that's even more satisfying. Looking at this team and looking at a different personality, of course, I have to ask you about Dennis Rodman. And what is the kind of misconception people have about Dennis Rodman where you're like, you know, that isn't true about Dennis. Dennis is not like that. Because people might see Dennis one way, and you probably saw Dennis a different way on the court and off the court. Yeah, definitely. We were, I was going to uh, feel like on the court it was going to be one way with somebody, but right after that, we're, we're going to go back to being buddies. Hmm. You know, we... Yeah, there's everybody else like you, like people wearing colors and 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 putting on their favorite team outfits and and getting in riots and fights, stupidness like that. We don't know any of that stuff. We're just out here playing. No, of so, course. I, and plus, I don't look at it that way. I know the bad boys. I know back in the day, you guys were one of the first teams in probably pro sports to do any kind of cross branding with other, other franchises. I know you see now. In modern-day sports, you see other teams cross-brand with teams from the NFL, NHL. But you guys were the first team to cross-brand with the Oakland Raiders and lean into the whole bad boys thing with the Raiders. How cool is that to be one of the first pro sports teams? I'm sure the Raiders were end up wearing pistol stuff back in the Bay. Yeah. Well, Ron, uh, Mike Ornstein, who we still talk to in a group chat, was working for the Raiders, and he loved us in Detroit. And... And he wound up getting us a whole bunch of, uh, of Raider stuff. So we were going to be, Bill Lambert said again, are we going to be bad? We're going to be the baddest of the bad. And, you know, it's like we're the Raiders of the NBA. People don't like us, but they, they respect us. And they have to. So I, 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 we thank Mike Ornstein for looking out for us and hooking us up. But we, you know, you, gotta, you put on a moniker, right? Mm-hmm. Give you an example. You talk about the 85 Bears. Yes. Right. They they did they did video and they did the uh, Chicago Bears shuffle and, and they they did their rhyme. You know what I'm saying? It's like they that was their that was their time. And so in 1989 we had the Bad Boys. That was our time. 88, 89, 90. That was our time. So it was. It's like I, I love to see what's happening with these new wave. I'm seeing what happened with Golden State. You know that was a great run. That was a great run for Golden State. We know it's over, right? I'm not being mean, but we know now another team is going to have, like Miami had a great run. Yes. Like San Antonio had a great run. Chicago had a great run. 
uh, Boston, Los Angeles. Uh, it's now going to be something different. And, and you know, it's going to some. It, it just moves like that. That's the way the trophy moves. That's what makes the NBA so wonderful. That is, is that there are no garbage teams. No, that is very true. And he mentioned Golden State ending. I want to talk to you about the team that ended that run, the Raptors, the team you played for back in 96. I want to ask you, as someone who played for the Raptors in year one, what was it like going to a market in which you're a part of a team that's in a totally different country, totally different environment? What was it like for you going from playing in Detroit and Miami to now you're playing pro ball, but you're now playing Canada in the mid-90s? No, well, i tell you this. Well, we were part... When I played for Detroit, we would go up to Hamilton, uh, right outside Toronto, and we would do an exhibition game. The NBA, you know, the Pistons would play against all these different teams, and it was bringing basketball into Canada. That's how far back, 1986, is when we would do that. And so I was also a part of, you know, just nine years after that, they are literally giving, showing people different uh, rules about basketball. And... It was cold. I love the city of Toronto. I love the whole country of Canada. It was like one of my favorite uh, parts of my life, especially during exhibition. They took us through Canada from Nova Scotia all the way to Vancouver, and I was like, yo, this place is dope. And since then, I've done a movie in, in Winnipeg and in Vancouver and Toronto, and I right over the border from Detroit, you know, you go into Windsor, this has always been like a cool spot to me. So it wasn't weird. It was just cold. It was really loving, though. I, I, I talk about how great my house was. I lived in Forest Hills. And uh, I know most people in Toronto are going to like, oh, you live there. And I took my daughter uh, sledding, and we were going to run it up the hill and then slide down. I was, and nobody was bothering me, and everybody was having fun. And I was like, this is the dopest place in the world. So I, I really enjoyed it. Just the basketball got in the way because it was a brand new team. Uh, and they, you know, it, they, as they say, the pioneers get the arrows. Yeah, that is true. And yeah, Toronto, it, it's developed into a tremendous market. And before I let you go, John, I want to ask you about the fact that you were one of the first athletes to promote being a vegan. I wanted to ask you, when did you really get into that? And would that really been possible to be open about I'm going to cut meat out of my diet back in the 80s? It was 1991, and I knew I needed to change the way I did things because mm. I, you know, sitting around, uh, have high cholesterol, pre-diabetic, um, literally having joint pain, uh, eye weakness, my hair was losing my hair, and all these things were from not eating properly. And so when I found out about cleaning my colon, with a colonic, and I thought about, I found, I started microbiotic, and then I went to vegetarian, and then I became a vegan, and now, like, my daughter and I are doing uh, raw until my birthday, which is May 16th, and uh, with some cooked greens in, in the evening, but it's it, literally when you learn how food is the medicine, and medicine is the food, mm-hmm. uh, you won't, you don't really get sick, you don't, you have a strong immune system, you literally feel better. I know it was days I was waking up when I was like, oh, what is it, Monday? Oh, what is it? What is it, Thursday? What is it, hump day? <laughs> like all of, those, all of those bad images on how bad it is to wake up that day mm-hmm. must mean you're eating improperly. So when I realized I, need, I should be happy, I'm living the life I designed. That the only thing I didn't know 
was I wasn't giving my Ferrari the right kind of gas. So I started, I changed my mentality about what I ate and that's it. And, and, and what I put in my body. This is a high octane, beautiful Ferrari, but made in America. And it should be, and the only high, high octane gas is um, fruit, seeds, nuts, legumes, and vegetables. And that's all I put in it to it. Nice. That's awesome. And, John, I got to thank you for doing Avery Sports Show. I got to do it again someday. Maybe down in Los Angeles, sitting down with you in L.A. Or a nice vegan meal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I don't want to tell you. My, my cannabis line, along with my daughter, Tyler, mm. Deuce is 22. We were supposed to launch in Nevada April 9th. But, uh, yeah, no. But don't worry, you'll hear more from me. And then we can talk about cannabis being good for your body, too. It's all green, baby. That's true. That is very true. That's so true, John. Thank you for doing the podcast, brother. Appreciate you coming on the show today.